Chapter Six of the Master Girl: A Romance by Ashton Hilliers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Renunciations. After the recital, the woman flagged again, and presently could hardly keep her eyes open. At a sign from her man, she lay down and was dead asleep almost before she had drawn up her knees in the posture assumed by the sleeping savage all the world over the antenatal position in which the pre-dynastic egyptians buried their dead but pouloune could not sleep he had passed through every phase of mental agony had spent a long day at the torture stake of suspense and anticipation and had been released from it to find himself confronted by a crisis in his domestic relations he understood only too well what had happened since the world and wiving began was there ever such a woman was there ever such a predicament for the husband of a woman use and want and the immemorial practice of his own and all other tribes had fixed the relative positions of the sexes this man believed as firmly as did the apostle paul that the man was made first and was the head of the woman who was provided for him for his comfort and use by his goddess the sun and over whom he the man was bound to exercise the rights of mastery and lordship to the very fullest extent whilst young and comely the wife was a valuable possession but when stringy and past work and childbearing it had until recently been a question in times of scarcity whether she might not be eaten that the sundisk men had recently decided against the older use is a point in favour of the sundisk men which we their descendants may score to their credit the fuegians at the time of charles darwin's visit still occasionally dined upon their grandmothers as you may read in the voyage of the beagle as to conceding to one of the subject sex equal rights the thing was extra-revolutionary it was indeed inconceivable it was outside the region of discussion but what was this that had happened here in this chance-begun housekeeping the whole matter had been turned topsy-turvy the moccasins were on contrary feet the hatchet was in the wrong hand he had come out to capture a wife and a wife had captured him he had broken his leg and she had mended it twice he had been attacked by a bear and twice she not he had beaten it off killing it actually killing the monster at the second encounter think of it who ever heard the like on that occasion he the man had borne himself stoutly and as a brave he had faced his foe axe in hand without hope and had made no moan and would have taken his mauling and his death without a whimper thus had he preserved his self-respect had participated in the fight and had in some roundabout fashion come to persuade himself that the skin was his and that the necklace of claws and teeth which was now around his neck had a right to be there he did not sit comfortably as yet but comfort and assurance would have come in time never fear did not the prince regent assert so frequently that as major brown he had fought at mont saint jean that at length as george the fourth his gracious majesty related the story with embellishments at the waterloo banquet and appealed to wellington himself for substantiation twas i gave the order up guards an atom 
You heard me, Arthur. Such, alack, is poor human nature in these latter days. Nor was it more voracious in the days of ignorance. Yes, Pulyun had begun to believe that he had killed the bear. But who killed the three braves whose raw scalps lay upon the cave floor? Those three scalps were another guess matter, a different story altogether. There was no straight or even plausible manner of accounting for them. He saw no way of persuading himself now, or in the future, that he had had any hand in the taking of them. In a word, they were his wife's, every single hair of them, not his, alas, not his. In a word, this poor, ignorant, savage man was all to seek in the law of modern officialism. The whole art of assumption was hid from him, by which I mean the mental and spiritual capacity to appropriate to one's own peculiar credit not only the results of another man's courage, luck or capacity, but the actual performance itself. This is the recognised modern practice. The pupil paints or plans. The master signs the drawings and takes the commission. The devil devils. The leader wins the case. The C.I.V. storms Baviansklouf. The alderman of his ward receives the wall medal. The stunt sahib, squattering through bottomless mud, organises the new annexation. His chief, down at the base under a punker, gets the thanks of the Governor-General. This is how we do it today. They did it otherwise in days when the all-seeing sun was believed to shine with approval upon the sayer of the thing that is, but to hide her face from the liar and the sneak and the tribesman who stole the axe or the honour of another. So poor foolish Pulyun gnawed his knuckles for long dark hours, wishing that his wife and he were dead, and, but for a soul of goodness in things evil, a red savage, for one, might e'en have brought his wish to the birth by braining the woman as she slept, and subsequently pitching himself off the crag. He dreed his weird for the lee-lang watches of the coldest and blackest night that ever he had known, colder and blacker than those which he had worn through after the breaking of his leg and before the master-girl had found and taken possession of him. He would say in the after-years, and did plainly believe, that during that night-watch there were strange visitants to the cave, that two birds flew in and out of the darkness and sat with him. The one upon his right hand was a ptarmigan of the scree, winter white and soft, plucking sweet things, gentle things, about the sleeping girl. The one upon his left hand, a raven of the cliff, blacker than the midnight or the shadows of the cave, croaking evil things, showing the poor, hardly bestead savage, all the shame and the ignominy and the laughing scorn of the homecoming to his tribe. But the longest and blackest of nights wears at last, and the dawn streaks shot aloft, and the gold-grey peaks took fire and glowed like rosy brands amid the ash of a hearth. Then, whilst the dawn brightened, and the upper ranges were dyed a colour that had no name to the watcher, nor has gained one yet, for it is not the heart of a rose, nor saffron, nor salmon, nor hath it an earthly counterpart. It was whilst the heavens above him were declaring the glory of God 
and the firmament showing his handiwork that the last struggle took place the tender clucking mastered the dull croaking the raven stalked forth to the cave sill and took wing adown the gulf of air but thrice the little snow-white ptarmigan tossed himself aloft into the keen clear morning and thrice he came circling down again to the cave sill with stiffly bent wing and inflated throat singing his song of praise to the lord who had made and warmed him and then he too was gone and the watcher was alone then pullune under the stirring of a new impulse did a very strange and wonderful thing taking the trophy from his own neck he laid it across the throat of the sleeping woman her eyes opened her hand went up she felt saw and understood she arose to her knees a new and beautiful light was in her eyes a great and pathetic awe had fallen upon her no thou shalt not do it no how shall my husband go home to his people bare-necked whilst his wife walks behind him wearing these i will groaned the man you shall not you dare not you cannot be silent i say i will he groaned more harshly catching up scalps and necklace she cast everything at his feet and bent grovelling before him what are these to me i want but thee but to a brave they are more than father mother wife or life itself she did not speak in scorn but from what she had seen and known yet it hurt stop cease be still he cried abruptly and very fiercely for how shall a man fight himself if his wife takes sides with his lower nature against the higher the woman did not understand she thought him enraged she knew not why but the jealousy which had poisoned their life for weeks past was cause enough plainly he must be humoured that is right be master what am i thy slave and a little moon-girl no more thou hast never beaten me yet beat me now take the things let us be as we were yes with a dead lift of self-renunciation i will break my bow she reached for the weapon where it lay what it meant for her only an inventor and a successful inventor can tell to allay the unreasoning jealousy the rooted conservatism of her husband this red girl would have put out of her life the new thing that she had thought out brought to the birth perfected and tested at the risk of her very heart's blood as her hand closed upon the wood a larger and stronger hand closed over both her lover silently drew her to himself End of chapter six